0: Hey, the title of my message today in Revelation chapter 5 is distinctly Christian, distinctly Christian. If I had a, a backup title, I'd call this the clan of the lamb, the clan of the lamb, distinctly Christian. This past week, uh, it was actually Wednesday this week, uh, I was getting my kids ready to take them to school and my son, Alexander, uh, he, 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 this is Alex, his name is Alexander Ingersoll, his name is Alexander Ingersoll, And there's a million things he hasn't done. Just you wait. Just you wait. Any Hamilton fans? No? Okay. Anyway. Um, My son, Alex, though, this is him getting ready on Wednesday for school. And on Wednesday, I I, I had to take a picture because when I looked at him, I I noticed two things that were just distinct about this child. The first thing is, this boy is distinctly mine. Uh, If you have seen me and you've seen his mother... Uh, and you were standing near the three of us, you'd say, uh, yes, you plus you definitely equals you. Uh, He is distinctly my boy. There are many traits and characteristics about him that you could tell, that's my son. The other thing that stood out as distinct when I looked at this picture, and I just had to snap it, was my boy is distinctly Canadian. (laughs) Like, he is going to school, but my kid's not going to school. He's hunting for grades. That's what he's doing. Uh, he's, got, he's got, you can't see it really well, but he's got green camo pants on and a green camo top. And then he went down to Tim Hortons and took Bob McKenzie's hat, hat right? It's just awesome. And he's distinctly Canadian. I thought that was a good analogy as I want to talk to you about being distinct as Christians. When something is distinct, it means that it's recognizably of some type of trait, some characteristic. It has an undeniable quality or or, or characteristic. The, The definition of distinct is recognizably different in nature, recognizably different in nature from something of a similar type. That's what it means to be distinct, when something is distinct. And things, we know things can carry distinctions. In fact, I know sometimes stereotypes can be a little dangerous, can't they? But also, sometimes they're very, very true. Like Canadians, we Canadians, we knew exactly what I was talking about the minute I said my son looks Canadian. There are some things that are distinctly Canadian. Some of the stereotypes we wish weren't true that are actually true. I was one time in an airport in the U.S. talking to a complete stranger, and they said, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Canada. And he goes, oh, and I was like, oh, here we go, right? I knew he was going to say, do you know so-and-so? And so, and I've had that conversation many times. And so here we are. And he's like, oh, do you know? And I'm like ready to give him the answer. Hey, listen, man, Canada's a huge country. There's 30 some million people that live there. It's massive. The odds of me know. Anyway, he says, do you know so-and-so? And I'm about ready to like smash his question down with the typical angry Canadian answer. Like, how dare you not know my country? When it turned out to me, I did know exactly... <laughs> who that person was. I was like, wait, where do they live? They're like, I think they live in like New Brunswick, like St. John's. Like, yeah, I know them. So we just carry the stereotype. Some traits are, you you can tell a person from Canada. You can tell a person from Charlotte County, Grand Bay, right? You can tell. You can tell Canadians. You can tell Americans sometimes. There are things, distinctives about people. You know what? You, You can tell Leafs fans, There are distinctions about people that sometimes are a dead giveaway. This distinctions, distinctions. And my premise today is this, that Christians are called to be distinct. The followers of Jesus are actually called to be distinct. We are meant to be be set apart and to actually be of Jesus, to actually look like him. And I actually believe... This time in history right now is a time where God is calling us out and calling us forward to actually take a Christ-like shape like never before and be set apart from the world that we live in so that people can tell we are like Jesus. Christians are supposed to be distinct. If you read your Bible, you'll find out in Genesis, we were made in God's image. And then we messed that up through sin, but then God initiates a plan and he, and he calls a people to himself. He sets them apart. He distinguishes them. And then we find out all through this God, the, the Old Testament, it leads up to Jesus. And Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of the promise of God. And he calls people to follow him. And he says, you know what? People are going to be able to tell that you're my followers. It's not going to be something that you just say with your lips. You're going to it's going to be evidential that you are my my followers, you are Christians, Christ's ones. You're going to be like me. You're going to do the things that I did and and say the things that I would say and you're going to believe what I teach and obey what I command. You're going to be distinct. And we find it in the New Testament. We find the Apostle Peter talking about us, how we're aliens. We're called to be aliens among the world. And we're to live such different and peculiar lives that they'll look at us and they'll say there is a God. You see, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, don't be like the world. Be transformed, be changed, be metamorphoso, the, the scripture says. Changed by the renewing of your mind. We're supposed to be distinct, and yet I wonder if maybe we've lost this you know I remember one time being on, a, on an airplane and seeing a couple Muslim men at, at prayer time get out in the aisle and, and get right down on their knees and pray their prayers and I remember sitting there thinking nobody here has any doubt that they're Muslim and then this question kind of arose in my spirit does anybody know I'm a Christian what gives it away What makes me distinct? Or do I just have secular camouflage on that nobody actually knows that I believe what I believe and that I'm a follower of Jesus? Are we distinct? I wonder if that's part of the problem of our age is that here in the West and here in Canada and the United States that we've come so close to the culture that you can't distinguish a Christian from a non-Christian. That it's just a confession of our mouth, but really we're not any different. This was a problem in the 1800s when Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he, he said that, you know what, a lot of people are practical atheists. They come to church on Sunday, but then Monday through Saturday, they're the exact same. They're no different. They're just like everybody else. Uh, There's this famous quote uh, by author Brennan Manning, the late Brennan Manning. He said this, and uh, if those of you who grew up in like the church that are like DC talk kids, you remember this quote was on one of the albums. He said that the greatest single cause of atheism or unbelief in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds Unbelievable. Are we distinct? That is the question I want to ask. Does anybody know you're a Christian? Can they tell? Today, as we jump into Revelation chapter 5, Revelation has been giving us a glimpse of ultimate reality. That's really what Revelation is all about. It's a glimpse of the truth that we have not yet seen. We found out last week that ultimately there is one on the throne, a lamb on the throne. That's Jesus. And it's been giving us this picture of the universe and everything that comes from it and for it and unto Jesus. And we get this glimpse of ultimate reality. And now the camera is going to turn this week, and it's going to show us how the reign and the rule of Jesus, the one on the throne, how it affects and defines us. Today, we're going to get ultimate clarity as to who the people of the Lamb are and what distinctively defines them. You ever wondered what makes a Christian? You ever wondered like what defines a Christian or how a Christian should look or act or be or what are the quintessential defining things about a Christian? This is the clearest picture you're gonna get here in Revelation, which is the purpose of Revelation, to give clarity, to reveal truth and that's what we find today so if you're ready let's jump into Revelation 5 and I'm going to try to give us a few distinctives that we can pull from this scripture so we found out last week that John gets this vision of the lamb he sees Jesus on the throne it is the most incredible picture the ultimate statement of the universe that grace reigns on the throne that God is good and he is for us and he's given himself for us and to us but he is very much ruling and reigning right now can I get an amen So we see that, and then it says this, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. We learned that that's about God's all-knowingness and all-powerful, His omnipotence and omniscience which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then it says this, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And we found out last week that represents how Jesus enacted and unfolded the great plan of Almighty God on our behalf. And then it says this, and here's here's where we get into the the new stuff this week. It says, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures, which represents all of creation, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And then it says, each one, each of the elders and the, 20, and the four creatures, they had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense. Now again, if you, were, you weren't with us last week or this is your first jump or, into Revelation, this is prophetic imagery. It's not asking you to paint the picture in your mind. It's asking you to grab the meaning and what it's pointing to. So don't make the mistake of trying to like get lost in eyes and horns. That's not the point of it. It's saying something more. It's imagery to communicate a truth or a reality. So it says this. It says, they sang a new song. So there's these golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. We'll come back to that. It says, and they sang a new song saying you, talking to who? The Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So this worship erupts. He sees the lamb take the scroll. He sees him on the throne and then he says that basically in ultimate reality when I saw it, everything was it was worshiping, it was an eruption of worship of the Lamb. And it starts to speak to some things. It doesn't just identify the four creatures, the 24 elders, talking about the rulers and authorities and all of creation, but it points to the people of God. And this is where I want to hang out today because I think it's going to help us understand what makes us distinctively Christian. Did you catch it? Did you catch some of the traits when it was talking about it? Let's, let's look closer. Here, here, here again, look, look in verse, uh, verse 9. So says, they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. Here's why. Because you were slain and with your blood, what happened? You purchased for God persons. Let's pause there. The first thing, the first distinction that you and I need to know about what it means to be a, a person of the lamb, a believer, a follower of Jesus, is that you are a purchased person. To be distinctly of the lamb means first and foremost that I identify myself and I understand myself as distinctly God's property. That I have been purchased. We have been purchased. We here here let me say it succinctly. You belong. If you are in Christ, you belong to him. You belong to him. You are God's property, property of God paid for by the Lamb, it says. Now, what does it mean that we're purchased? And why is that important? Why is that the first thing, the first description you see of the people of God in Revelation is they are the purchased ones. Why is the fact that we're purchased so important? Well, if I am his property, that first and foremost means that like I belong to him. I'm his property. That means that, that God is our sole, sole proprietor. Miss that? No? He he owns your soul. He owns your life. He owns you. You are his servant. In fact, I'll use some very unpopular language in our day, but it uses it in the New Testament. Paul says, you're his slave. You are a slave to righteousness. Now, here's the crazy thing, though. This isn't a begrudging slavery. We just saw last week that this is how the lamb reigns. The lamb reigns by giving himself away. And so when we give ourselves, when we are, become His slaves or His servants, it's not because we have a gun to our head, it's because our hearts have been radically changed by the beautiful love and power of the Lamb, and we voluntarily surrender our lives to Him in totality in response to who He is. That's what this is talking about. That's like the old song. Uh, it says like, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all this 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 sacrifice of the lamb demands a response of everything he gave everything how dare we not give everything back we have been purchased by the lamb so first and foremost when we understand ourselves what makes us distinctly christian is that we see ourselves not as our own like it says in in first corinthians it says you are not your own it says first corinthians 6 20 you were bought for a price you've been purchased And now here's the second thing. This gets very exciting. We don't just understand ourselves as voluntary servants or voluntary slaves, but we understand ourselves, if God purchased me, that means I'm his treasure. Because did you notice it said, not only have we been purchased, but it told us for how much. It put the price tag next to it. Did you see it? You were purchased, not with like some leftover change he had in his pocket, You and I were purchased by the blood of the lamb. Now that should blow your mind for a minute because this is the same lamb that all of creation, all of heaven, all of the earth, myriads of angels, the most glorious beings you could ever imagine are worshiping him forever saying, you're the one worthy of all wealth, all power, all wisdom forever and ever. And it was his blood that purchased us. Wow. Now, that should tell you all kinds of things, but namely, one of the things is this, that, you know what? I wasn't bought on clearance. I wasn't bought on clearance. God didn't find me at the back of H&M. He paid the most expensive price in history spending the most priceless commodity in the universe, His blood, for you. Now, that should tell you something. God does not take you lightly. You are not just some possession he has. You are his treasure. You were worth spilling his blood for. That's an unbelievable revelation, isn't it? Like, that's a whole sermon. I I actually debated just preaching on the fact that we were purchased and making this into a series, but I want to get through revelation before I die. So we're going to keep going. But you need to understand something. You have been purchased. Now, why is that so powerful? Because if, if I've been purchased, I don't just belong to Him, I belong to Him. Right? Like, switch it in your mind. Like, this is an obligation. I get to be, belong in the hands of God. That means God's not going to let go of me. That means God's not going to fumble me. That means God's not going to misappropriate me or misplace me or forget about me. I am a, pre- a precious purchase of the lamb that is an incredible revelation you have been purchased do you know whose you are have you reminded yourself whose you are lately you belong to god he bought you for a price that's an incredible thing so a lamb mentality a a christian mentality is i am not my own now how is that different from the world well i think you know i mean the secular the secular mindset right now is what i'm me make way for me, clear out for me. I'm the servant to no one. You don't tell me what to do. Does anybody do that anymore? I don't know. You can't tell me nothing, right? You do you, I do me. The Christian mindset is, I'm his. I belong to him. He must increase, I must decrease. I, I have resigned myself to him. My, identi- my identity is now in him, Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live. I've been crucified with Christ, I died. And now the life I live in the body, I live in faith through the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. Your life is a dramatic response to the incredible gift of God, the purchase of God by his blood. You have been purchased. That's an incredible, incredible revelation. Meditate on that. Let that cast out fear. You are priceless and precious enough to God to buy you with his blood. So the things that you're going through in your life, like he knows, he knows, he knows what he's doing with you. You are valuable to him. You belong to him. Say, I belong to him. I belong to him. It's so important that you understand whose you are and who you are. Do you know this whole, like we get talking about what distinguishes us You know, it's not. at no point we're going to see does it give us a a list, a to-do list of do's and don'ts, which sometimes, if, if you're in the wrong context, some of us as Christians were handed the do's and don'ts list. Christianity isn't about doing, it's about being. Christianity isn't about what you do, it's about what he did, and he's called you and bought you for a price, and now the life you live, your identity is in him. And you walk that out knowing not just that I am found in him, but I belong to him. And the fruit of that comes as a byproduct. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But here's the question I want to ask you. Have you reminded yourself lately whose you are? You have been purchased. If you you have given your life to Jesus, you've put the deed to your life in Jesus, the keys of your life to Jesus, you belong to the Lamb, and that is the most secure, grace-filled, power-packed, life-giving, everlasting, mercy-running, joyf- joyful place you could ever exist, is in the hand of the Lamb. You belong to the Lamb. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Do you know whose you are? Let's keep going. There's another thing. Did, did you see it? So we're distinctly purchased. It also says, so because you were slain, and with your blood, let's, let's bring it up on the screen here. Because you were slain, and with your blood, you purchased for God persons, here it is, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So it it starts to speak about who we are. Not just that we're purchased, but, but here's the second distinctive about who we are. If you are distinctly of the Lamb, if you're part of the clan of the Lamb, you are part of a diverse community. You're part of a community of different tribes, Different languages, different peoples, different nations. All kinds of different backdrops, personalities, body types, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, different, different backgrounds, all the diversity in the world brought to one singular point of unity around the Lamb. That's who we are. We have been assimilated. We have been assimilated. Your identity has been absorbed in the Lamb. And it's not an individualistic identity. It's actually a communal identity. Now, this is very, very different than what a lot of us, like the, the air we breathe in modern secular society. We live in an individualistic society, don't we? We live in a time of, of you know, I identify as such and such. You know, it's paint by number. Call yourself whatever you want. And you have to accept me just as I am, right? Like That's where we live. We live in a time of intersectionality. We keep making divisions, don't we? And segregations. And like, I'm this and this and this. I'm a white man who identifies as this. I'm, right? Am I getting all, all, everyone's getting uncomfortable about what I'm, where I'm going. But the, the Bible, what, what this is speaking of here, is actually in all of your differences, we come together in unity. It's actually the opposite of the secular ethos. It's doing something completely different. It's diversity in unity. Isn't that awesome? Like our diversity comes together and converges. We have more in common because the lamb is greater than our individualistic identities. I surrender my will. I surrender my history. I surrender my gifts. I surrender my personality. I surrender my family legacy and you do yours. And none of us do you anymore. We all do him and we do it together. That's that's what it means to be distinctly of the lamb. It's diversity in unity. It's, it's our divisions coming together as one. Notice, it's, it's one people. Did you know that the church, like the Christian Christianity, is like the only truly global religion? Did you notice that? Did you, did you recognize that? Like, all the other major religions are either an ethnocentric, like Judaism, you've got to be born a Jew. Or your mom does anyway. Or, or like Buddhism, Hinduism is predominantly in Asia. Christianity is almost perfectly divided up in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia. There are Christians literally all over the world from every people group and background, every type of person who has set aside their type of person and become a follower of Jesus. And their identity now is, I am a Christian. And that's something we need to recapture in the church, isn't it? We no longer, like if you, if you lead with, hi, I'm a father, hi, I'm Canadian, I'm a pastor, if those labels define you most prevalently, you're missing the point. We're defined by the Lamb. We're defined as Christians. We are Christ's ones. We are followers of Jesus. That is our identity, and it is not a singular identity. It is a collective identity. Jesus doesn't even let us pray by ourselves. Did you notice that? You ever pray the Lord's Prayer? It is not my Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It is our Father in heaven. It's not give me today my daily bread, is it? He doesn't even let you pray by yourself. He doesn't even let you pray without being aware of the fact that there are millions of brothers and sisters you need to pray for too. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Well, I didn't sin today. Maybe your brother did. Forgive us, it's us, it's us. We have a collective identity. The blood of the lamb has destroyed all the old categories. Now, that's an amazing, amazing, especially for those of us who have a lot of baggage. Isn't it awesome that the blood of the lamb has destroyed that old label and those old mistakes? And we are now just, we are one of the collective chorus all saying the same thing. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was blind, now I see. We all from our all different varieties have the same testimony. It's the Lamb reigns, Jesus is Lord, and He has changed everything in me and is changing me. We all have the same story. There's no, you know, then I saw every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And Brent. It didn't say that. Imagine? It doesn't. Christian is my label. Jesus is my label. That's my identity. It's we. We bleed. The lamb. We, we breathe the lamb. We are the people of the lamb. We identify as Christians. Let's keep going. So, we are a diverse community. And then it says this. So, it talks about the fact that he spilled his blood and purchased us. And it's not just us as individuals, but a, a massive collection of people, every type of people. And it says in verse 10, you have made them. Now here's some, some more clarifying distinctions. So that diverse community from every background, every part of the world, every nationality has been made together to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Let's stop there. Let's, let's pull that distinctive out. We have been made as a community, to be a kingdom of priests. Here's the next distinctive. What's it mean to be distinctively of the Lamb? Well, it means that you and I, if we follow Jesus, we have priestly responsibility. We have priestly responsibility. We are witnesses to the Lamb. That's the job of the follower of Jesus. Now, some of you grew up in a context where you went and saw the priest, and you didn't realize that if you follow Jesus, you're a priest too. Did you know that? Every believer, every follower of Jesus has been called to be a priest. Now what is a priest? A priest in effect is a mediator. A priest is an in-between. It's a servant of God who operates in the gap between heaven and earth. That's what a priest does. A priest's function is to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, it's to connect The reality of heaven with the reality of earth. It kind of looks like the cross, doesn't it? It's to bring heaven to earth. To be a living embodiment of the reality of the Lamb. That's what a priest is. We are called to be priests. We're called to be witnesses. Now, a priest does a couple things. A priest's job is is to facilitate worship. It's to actually Call forth people to worship, to, to help people see the God that they worship. The, the function of a priest is to bring clarity and communication and to point to the King, to point to the Lamb, to call others to join in to worship. That's your job. Your role as a follower of Jesus is to proclaim the greatness of God and to invite others to, experiencing, to experience Him through you. Your job is to stand in the gap between heaven and earth. Isn't that, that's an incredible calling. A priest worships, he prepares worships, he facilitates worship. A priest also mediates, literally does the work that's required to reconcile heaven and earth and men to God. That's that's the work of the priest. We actually embody the exact same thing that the lamb died to do. And that is to call people and bridge people back to God. We actually are intercessors. We stand in the gap. We do that literally through prayer. I thought it's interesting where it said that the the creatures and the elders had these golden bowls and they were full of the prayers of God's people. And it just shows you that there's this direct connection between earth and heaven. Why? Because our prayers go directly to the throne, which is really neat too. I wish I had time to unpack this a little more. In the Roman court system, they used to burn big bowls of golden, golden incense. And it's this picture of when you pray, did you know this This isn't my message, this is for free. Did you know that when you pray as a child of the Lamb, your prayer goes right to the feet of the great judge. You're actually appealing to the highest court of appeals when you pray. That's what that picture of the golden bowls is. It's reminding the church who this church in in Revelation were being persecuted and they were praying in the secret place and in the hidden place behind closed doors because their lives were in danger and they're praying, not feeling like they're being heard by the powers that be. And John gives them a glimpse of heaven and says, nope, your prayers are going right in the bowls before the king. And he hears what you're saying, and he is exacting his judgment on your behalf. And you're going to see in the next chapter, these seals start breaking open, and they all break open because of a prayer. Come. We'll get to that later. So our job is to, to bridge the gap of earth and heaven. We're intermediaries. Our lives are to bear witness and to be an invitation to the reality of the kingdom and the king. That's what your job is. Acts one eight, Jesus tells the, tells the church before he ascends to heaven, he said, don't go anywhere. Stay here until you receive the gift my father promised. And he said this, you will be my witnesses. And the word witness is the, word, the Greek word martos, where you get the word martyr. Now that has been defined as someone who laid their life down, ultimately who died. But it's, it's more than that. Martos means... We are called to lay ourselves down in proclamation of the truth of the Lamb. That might look like taking a bullet, that might look like standing up against false doctrine. Like Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany. You should read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer someday. When the German church literally got in bed with the Nazis and there was a few good men and a few good believers who stood up and bore witness and said, that is not true. We do not serve a regime. We defy what they're saying and we stand with the Lamb. That, that's what it means to bear witness. To put your neck on the line. To lay yourself down. It might cost you your breath. It might cost you your savings. It might cost you your time. It's probably going to cost you your patience. It's going to cost you something. That's what it means to bear witness. We bear witness. We stand in the gap. We become, this is a really nerdy word, but my, some of my nerd friends are going to understand it, a nexus. A nexus is like a, it's a, it's a porthole almost. It's a, it's a intersection of heaven and earth. That's what it means to bear witness. The reality of heaven is shining through you, inviting others to experience it. Now, some of you are like, that's not me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This is trying to give you a glimpse of who you really are. And you need to understand that. Like someone in Halifax needs to hear that today. are like, well, I'm no witness. If you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in the Lamb, you are a witness. This is showing you who you really are. Don't let your experience define you. Let the Word define you. You are called to be a witness. You are to stand up and stand out for the life of the Lamb for the glory of the Lamb. You are to stand for His truth, stand up for others, lay yourself down for His glory, be a minister of reconciliation, be an agent of redemption, be hands that bring His healing. He is able to heal. Be be a, a peacemaker. Bring the kingdom. Give yourself to His purposes, even if it costs you everything. To be a witness is to operate under the conviction that Jesus is Lord and the whole world needs to come under his lordship. And you operate out of that. Our lives are meant to be a declaration to the truth that the Lamb reigns. Can I say that again? Our lives are meant to be a declaration of the truth that the Lamb is on the throne. That is what our life is to be. Not only a declaration, but also a demonstration. Did you notice this? It said, I'm, I'll, I'll be done in like five minutes. It said this. It says that you've made them to be a kingdom of priests. So you're a royal priesthood, it says. It says, and they will reign on the earth. They will reign on the earth. What does that mean? It means that us as priests, it, it doesn't mean we're just priests, but the Bible says in First Peter, it says we are a royal priesthood. So this isn't just about speaking up And speaking out and serving, it's actually about dominion. It's actually about bringing the the kingdom, quite literally, to the world. Here's here's my fourth idea, the fourth distinctive. You and me, if we're distinctly of the Lamb, we are kingdom authority. Like, we're defined by kingdom authority. We have been destined to reign. Now, when it says, they will reign on the earth, it's not talking about just some day will there is a now reality. That that's our, that's our birthright. That is our distinction. That is what God has set us apart to do, to reign on the earth. And what's happening, uh, there, here's one of the things you'll find about Revelation. It sews up and ties up all of this. And one of the things about reigning on the earth, it's speaking back to Genesis. Do you know when God made you, read Genesis 127, says God made us in his image and he gave us a commission he says be fruitful and multi- multiply fill the earth and subdue it we were meant to bring new life and order to the world that's what it means to bear his image we were to rule and reign over the earth god gave us rulership over the earth we gave it to satan jesus took the keys back and then you know what he said he said all authority has been given to me therefore go into all the nations and what make more make disciples Bring people into the kingdom. Here we go. We're going to bring this kingdom. We're going to take over, and you are going to rule and reign like you were meant to do in the first place. That's what it means to be a person of the Lamb. You rule and you reign. We are destined to reign, called to reign with the Lamb. And here's, here's the crazy part. We are called not to just reign with the Lamb. We reign like the Lamb. How did the Lamb reign? How did He conquer he conquered through sacrifice, self sacrifice, and resurrection power. He conquered through laying himself down in obedience to God and God vindicating him through resurrection power. And that's how you and I are called to live and reign. When we, when we bring the kingdom, we do it through sacrifice like the lamb, in obedience and faith, believing that my weakness is perfected. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And that his power flows through my vulnerability, my willingness to step out there and say, be healed in Jesus' name. I know that could look foolish, but that's me laying my life down, laying my pride down, setting my, my will aside and saying, I'm, I'm going to give myself to seeing the kingdom come. That's the call That's what makes it a Christian distinct. You are for the purpose of seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's your job. That's my job. We are kingdom people. We seek the establishment of his rule and reign on the earth. He's doing it through us. Notice Jesus didn't die on the cross, rise again, and then go to CNN and say, okay, I'm the king now, bow down. He didn't do that. He's doing it through other people who are gonna follow the lamb like he did, laying their lives down and starting a revolution through resurrection. That's the way of the lamb. That's what we're called to do. That's how we bring the kingdom. That is, this is so full of stuff that I wish I had more time to talk about today, but you need to understand this. We give ourselves to see the rule and reign of King Jesus. That makes us distinctive. People should think about the kingdom People should know about the kingdom because of our lives. Our lives bring the authority of God. Our lives bring the healing reality of God. Our lives declare the truth of God. This is what it means when Paul says, you're ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Have you ever met an ambassador like of another country? They, they are, they're clearly bringing their country with them wherever they go. That's what an apostle is. The word apostle, do you know what an apostle did? It's a Roman word that we stole and made it ours because that's what we've been given authority to redeem things. Apostle is someone who would take the culture of Rome into a newly conquered town and make this like Rome. So when we act apostolic, what we're doing is we're taking the culture of heaven and we're bringing it to Quispam says to make it like heaven. We're bringing the culture of heaven to Halifax to make Halifax like heaven. That's the job of every Christian. Your job is to make your home like heaven. Your job is to make your street like heaven. Your job is to make your neighborhood more like heaven. That's what it means to be an ambassador. That's what it means to be an apostle. We're making Halifax, Charlottetown, New Brunswick, PEI, Nova Scotia, Atlantic Canada. Our heartbeat is to make it more like heaven. That's the job. We're called to reign, to bring dominion, to bring God's authority, his rulership and kingship on earth as it is in heaven. That's some good news. Here's the last distinctive, and I'm going to pray. So this this worship erupts. And it says, then in a loud voice, the creatures, and it said, I saw the creatures, the elders, the church, and myriads of angels and everybody on the earth and under the earth. And it says, in a loud voice, they sang a new song. These words on the screen in no way capture how explosive this is. This is the most magnificent picture. I think one of the most magnificent pictures in all of the Bible. This is so full of power and life. If you can just, like, by faith envision such a moment of worship. It says, worthy is the Lamb. So all of creation, all of powers and all the rulers and authorities, all of humanity, the whole angelic realm, all pointing to the Lamb saying, the Lamb is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and praise. And he says, And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow, what a picture. Doesn't that awaken something in your spirit? Doesn't something deep inside of you say you were made? You were made to point your whole life in that direction. You were made... Just like all of creation was made to sing the praises of God. Just like the heavens and the earth were made to sing the praises of God. Just like the angels and the creatures and the, and the 24 elders. It's, there's something inside of you that says, Yes, I was created to say, Worthy is the Lamb. And that all of my life, all of my power, all of my strength, all of my wealth, all of my wisdom, all of my legacy, everything should go to give you glory. That's the last distinctive. How, how, how alive this is. Doesn't this just seem alive? It seems eternal. It seems everlasting. And here's the last distinction. We are distinctly of the Lamb. One of the distinctions is that we carry a glorious vitality. There is a life that is in us that comes from the glory of the Lamb. We are alive in Him forever as we give our lives for His glory. The final picture in Revelation 5 is the whole universe aligned in worship of the Lamb. It's all from Him. It's all for Him. It's all to Him. It's all through Him. Everything. Did you notice it said seven different things? Praise, honor, glory, power, wealth, wisdom, strength, seven. Everything we have should go to you. You're worthy of it all. All to Him. Now, some of you might be listening in. You're like, well, wait, what about me? Like, when do I get mine? Well, here's here's the last thing I'd share with you. The people of the Lamb realize that He deserves all the glory. And you know that even if you got nothing, even if the Lamb didn't die for you, even if the Lamb didn't offer you life now and forever, even if He didn't promise fulfillment, and he, even if He didn't say, you know what, if you drink from this well, you'll never thirst again. I am the bread of life that can only satisfy. Even if He didn't give us and promise us those things, do you know that, you, that He is worthy of our worship anyway? That if we could see what they're seeing in Revelation 5, you would voluntarily surrender everything to Him. You would empty yourself on Him. He's that worthy. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians, it says one day every knee will see, everyone will see Him and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord when they truly see Him. And He's worthy of all of our worship even if nothing was done for us and nothing will be done ahead of us. He's worthy of our worship. But the, the people of the Lamb understand that actually I, I find my life in His glory that when we start to live for his glory, the most fulfillment and satisfaction comes through that. There's an old, uh, old adage. I don't even know who said it, but it's, I am most satisfied when he is most glorified. That I am most satisfied when he is most glorified through me. Life is found when we lay ourselves down for his glory. And that's why there's nothing too small to do for him. It makes it infinitely valuable. When you do something for his glory, So what Paul meant when said, whether you eat or drink, do it under the glory of God. This is where life comes from. Life is found in his glory. We are promised a forever life. And you know, you know why it will never fade? Because his glory never fades. And when you realize that you were made by his glory, for his glory, when you make his glory your life, life becomes the result. Everlasting life. The glory that you and I long for, it wasn't ever meant to be a Facebook-like. It was never meant to be climbing the corporate ladder. It was never meant to be this thing or that thing, that substance or this person. The glory that our hearts long for is actually His glory. And we experience it by giving Him our glory. That's what it means to be distinctively of the Lamb. Here's a few questions that I'm going to pray. Here's three apocalyptic questions. Now, if you missed last week, that's going to sound weird. Apocalyptic doesn't mean what? It doesn't mean destruction. It means what? Unveiling. This is three questions to look at ourselves through the apocalyptic light, through revelation. Here's the first one. Am I distinctively Christian? What about my life is distinctive? Do those distinctions line up with the picture in Revelation 5? How do you define yourself? Question number two, do I find my identity primarily as Christian? Do I define my identity primarily as Christian? Or is there another label that I identify with more significantly? What labels do I need to take a back seat? Question three, does my life bear witness to the greatness, glory, and kingdom of the Lamb? What would declaring and demonstrating the good news look like In my day-to-day life? Does your life bear witness to the Lamb? And then one more question I'd ask for some of you who might be listening. Have you been purchased? Have you actually given Jesus your life and said, I I need to be purchased by your blood. I need new life. I need forgiveness. I want what you have for me. I'd invite you to do that. I'd I'd say stop putting that off. Repent of your sins. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Put your faith in Him, and you are a new creation. But I want to pray for us today, because I believe this is a season where God is setting us apart. He's calling us to be creatures of the land, to be distinctively of the land. This is a time for that. So let's pray. Father, thank you today for this word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray wherever we are gathered today, Lord, I pray that you would press upon us our birthright, press upon us our identity, remind us whose we are and who we are. Lord, would our fruit come from the revelation of our identity. God, I pray that the fact that you've purchased us would just flush away all scarcity and striving in Jesus' name. That, Lord, it's not about what we do, it's about what you've done. And, God, I pray that we would right now not uh, get caught up in vain pursuits, pursuing the, the establishment of the wrong kingdom. And that, God, everything we are and everything we have, Lord, we aim it at the glory of the Lamb. Would we be bringers of the kingdom? Would we be ambassadors of heaven? Would our neighborhoods be more like heaven because we live there? Lord, help call us forth today. God, help us to come out of hiding. Lord, help us not just blend in, but would people know, would they know that we are followers of Jesus? God, thank you for this. Would you awaken your church? Would you make us more like you? Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Would we live the kingdom reality under the King, the Lamb, Jesus?